This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. I'd like to join the other brethren in welcoming everybody here this morning. I appreciate that you could be with us so we could study another portion of God's Word together. I appreciate the prayers on my behalf, and it's my prayer that the things that we study will be in strict accordance to God's Word this morning. And also, it'll be useful to you and beneficial as we continue our Christian walk together. Over the next few months, I want to, I want to look into a series. Um, and the series is going to be called The Godly Family. And when I was thinking about our congregation, I was thinking about, you know, maybe just different needs that we have or things that we should be studying, we should be learning about. You know, we've got a lot of young families. We've got a lot of people who are, are just getting married. We've got a lot of people who are, uh, we have young kids. We're learning how to be fathers. We're learning how to be mothers. Uh, some of us, when we were growing up, we had really good examples that we could follow, and we had good teachings in the different roles, and some did not. Um, so for a little while this morning, I want to look at the role of the husband and the father in a godly family. And we want to look at uh, specifically the, the instructions that God gives us uh, for the different roles in the family and, and how the families uh, can be a light to the world, how the families can work together to glorify God, how families can work together to produce many good fruits for generations and generations to come. So in this first study in this series, we're going to look at the role of the husband and the father in the family. Um, so what does the man of the house need to do in order to honor God in his role? Uh, so the first way we're going to look at it is we're going to talk about the godly husband, and then a little bit later we're going to talk about the godly father, and we'll see different principles, we'll see different responsibilities that God calls us as men to do to, in order to lead our homes uh, and glorify Him. So as first, we're going to start off in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, and it says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and that the head of every woman is the man, and the head of, every Christ, and the head of Christ is God. Here's a diagram that I've seen. I've seen it plenty of times. It just kind of shows you uh, that the head of everyone is Christ, uh, that He is over and above everything, and He's over the husband, and the husband is over the wife. Now, this is not in a way that it builds the husband up over the wife. It's in a way if it's, if it's a servant leadership. You know, when you think of that Christ is the head above all things, look at the life that Christ lived and look at the actions that He lived and what He did for other people. Yes, He is the head of all things, and in that being head of all things, it's, it's more of a responsibility than a privilege. So let's look at a couple of those things. If we look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, it says, For the, head, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and He's the Savior of the body. So Christ is the head of the church, just as husband is the head of the wife. There is no question that the Bible teaches that the husband is the head of the family, and that the husband must lead the family, spiritually speaking. That the husband, this is a great responsibility. It's not as much of a privilege as what some people like to make it out to be. And we can compare this, the, the husband being the head of the wife, we compare that relationship of Christ being the head of the, the, the church and also Christ being the head of the church, just as it says in Ephesians, He's the Savior of the body. Now what did Christ do to become the Savior of the body? It was a self-sacrificing leadership, wasn't it? That Christ was willing to be the head and the Savior of the church so much so that He was willing to give Himself on the cross so that He could be that Savior of the church. So it's a self-sacrificing leadership. If we look in John chapter 15, verse 13, it says, "...greater love hath no man than this." that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, 
For the servant knoweth not what his Lord does, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, that I have made known unto you. So we can see that Christ and His Lordship involves this sacrifice and it involves the responsibility. And us as husbands, we have the same level, we have the head over the family, that it should come with sacrifice and it should come with responsibility. You know, Christ's leadership was not an advantage for His personal privilege. In the same way with us as husbands, our leadership is not for our personal privilege, but it's a responsibility that we have to lead our families in a way that is glorifying to God. And in this leadership and this responsibility, it's not easy. There's a lot of, lot of difficult things that we have to go through. There's hard decisions that, that we have to make. Uh, there's financial things that we're responsible for. We have to make uh, decisions based upon uh, religious beliefs and, and leading our, our family spiritually. So there's, this is a, a big commandment. It's a big responsibility that we have to follow, and it's not going to be easy all the time. Um, and the wife should recognize that this is a, a burdensome way that they should be able to, uh, to help, help the husband, that they're leading them so that the family can all uh, glorify God together. So the best example that we have as husbands leading the family, the best example that we should be following is Christ. So if we look over at 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. And us as husbands, as being leaders of the family and as being head of the family, we have to make sure that our commandments and our leadership and our authority over the family is not grievous as well because we're following after the footsteps of Christ and after His leadership. He gave so much. Christ gave so much to us, and it's not unreasonable for us to do what He asked us to do. And this is a fit example for us as husbands. In this leadership that we have and being the head over the family, uh, there's a very strong emphasis of the spiritual leadership. Our leadership involves a spiritual leadership that we must be willing to set the example for our family to follow spiritually. So I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. Husbands or husbands-to-be, the head of the family, think about the things. Are you leading your family spiritually? Are you studying on a consistent basis? Are you praying? Are you making sure that your children are being involved and that they're growing spiritually? Lead them in this lifestyle, living a clean life. Our job as the family, as, as the head of the family, is to lead in a way that is glorifying to God and that other people can follow as well. The second responsibility that we have as husbands and the head of the house is that we must provide for our house, and that's providing for the physical needs and caring for our family that way. It talks about this in a couple of different verses. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That word infidel there means an unbeliever. That's an unbeliever in Christ, or it's an unbeliever in, in God. So he's talking about here, this is Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, if you're not going to provide for your own house, and this is providing for the physical needs, then you're worse than an unbeliever. Now think about that statement for a minute. If you call someone worse than an unbeliever, that's a pretty big statement. That's a pretty degrading thing to say about someone. When we're talking to Christians here, we're talking to the church. But that's exactly what Paul said. He said, if you're not willing to provide for your own house and take care of their physical needs, then you're worse than an unbeliever. And this was a very serious thing. If we also look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, let's read verse 6 through 15. 2 Thessalonians 3, beginning in verse 6, it says, Now we command you, brethren, 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if we would not work, neither should he eat. For if we hear that there are some which for we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now them which are now them that are such we command and exhort by our Jesus, by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well doing. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now I want you to look through these set of verses and think about the seriousness that Paul is writing here. When we look at this, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he's saying, when we came to you, that we worked. We earned what, we, what we've got. And this is the example that we left to you, that you, if anyone does not work, he should not eat. And also, if you find someone who's not willing to work and they're not willing to provide for their own house, then our commandment and our responsibility is that we disassociate ourselves from those people so that they'll be ashamed. We call, call them a brother. We still try to work with them and help them. But this is a very serious thing that, that we, there in verse 6, that ye withdraw yourselves from the brother that walks disorderly. And then he describes what walking disorderly means, that they're not willing to work, that they're not putting forth the, the example that they need to put forth. So it's a very serious thing. And one who fails in this duty is to be admonished and avoided, just as what Paul taught us. Now, providing for our health, providing for our household and the physical needs that we're supposed to do, this tells us that we should be working hard to provide for those things. If we look over in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, it says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men. What they're talking about here in Colossians, this is specifically talking about your employment in the world. It says, servants, obey your masters in all things. So employees, obey your employers in all things according to the flesh. And don't do it just so you can be pleasing to men. Do it so you're pleasing to God. And that is the way that we should be treating our work ethic, providing for our own house, working hard to provide for the physical needs that are there for our families. The third responsibility that we have as husbands of the house is to love our wives. You know, there's several verses that we're going to look through here where God teaches us and He reminds us as husbands is to love your wife. And you know, it, it kind of sounds a little bit silly that we have to be reminded so many times to love our wives, but I want you to think about it. <clears throat> there are several men out in the world and several men, I would venture to say even in the church, that quite frankly don't love their wife. And I'm not talking about the emotional connection that you have as, as sometimes we refer to as love. I'm talking about the action and the self-sacrificing love that you show forth in the actions towards your wife. So if we look over in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22, it says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and attaineth favor of the Lord. And we got to remember as husbands that our wives are a blessings from God. 
And as a blessing from God, it's our responsibility and it's our privilege in order to love them, in order to help them. Also, if we look over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. This shows us that self-sacrificing love that we should have for our wives, similar to the love that Christ has for the church. He nourishes it. He cares for it. He presents itself holy. And that's the kind of love that us as husbands, that we need to make sure we're always demonstrating towards our wives. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. When you look up that word bitter, it means to deal harshly with. So he tells us again, he reminds us, love your wives and don't deal harshly with them, but care for them, nourish them, help, help them in the, the things that they need. So we have plenty of examples where he says for us to love our wives. If we look again over in verse Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to the knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, even unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. When you look at this verse a little bit, that, that where it says give honor to the wife, that's respect. Give respect to the wife that, that she deserves. When you look at that as weaker vessel, what it's talking about there is just simply the physical body being a weaker vessel. And we know that to be true. It's inherently a fact that the, the woman's body is just a weaker physical being than the man's body. Now, it also tells us that, they're, that as being heirs together of the grace of God. So what, what Peter is writing about here in 1 Peter is that even though the wife is physically a weaker, weaker being, spiritually it's all on the same playing field and spiritually it's it's level because we're heirs together in the grace of god and that's what we need to remember as husbands and not get all puffed up that we have a more dominant body or we have a stronger body but remember that we are equal together with them as being heirs together and by doing that remember that we owe them the honor and respect that they deserve is what it's talking about in first peter if we look over in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9, it tells us to live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. The, the writer here in Ecclesiastes tells us that we love our wife all the days of our life, and when we do so, we can live joyfully. Remember, we looked at Proverbs that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. It's a blessing from God. When we take care of our responsibility as husbands and we're loving our wife, we're cherishing her, we're nourishing her, we're leading her spiritually, we're giving her the respect and the honor that she deserves, it's a whole lot easier to live joyfully in those moments than when we don't do our responsibility as husbands. So focus on your responsibility and make it sure that you're doing what you need to. So as a, a simple reminder that we've been looking at this morning, for all you husbands out there, love your wives and do what God has asked us to do. There's a lot of other things that we could look at in the roles of the husband, but now we're going to switch over into the role of a father leading the family. 
Now, when we look at the role of a father, it's still the man of the house and he's still the one that's supposed to lead. I want you to consider for just a minute that your children, your sons that you're leading, you are the strongest example that your sons have to follow. They're watching your steps and they're looking to see, are you going to follow after, after what your dad did? Or are you going to say, I don't want to do what my dad did? And you are that father. You're, you're the example in their life to lead them in the way that they're going to walk. Also, I want you to think about your daughters. Your daughters that you're leading as, as the fathers of the house, you are the standard that is setting in their lives of what kind of husband that they're going to look for someday. Are you setting a high enough standard for them to pick a spouse that's going to be able to lead them spiritually? This is a big responsibility as fathers of the house. If we look over in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. When you look up that word, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, let's define that a little bit further. Nurture is the Strong's. It's the Greek word 3811. And that means an education or training by implication, disciplinary correction, chastening, chastisement, instruction, or nurture. So when you see that word nurture there, that's not really the caring and comforting and, and way that we would use nurture. It's nurture with disciplinary correction that you're keeping them on the right track. Also, if you look up that word admonition, it's the Greek word 3563, which means to call attention to. That is, by implication, a mild rebuke or a warning. It's an admonition. Both of those words, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, admonition of the Lord, imply a disciplinary correction and a loving and gentle rebuke or warning to keep them on the right track. So fathers, your role as raising your children is to bring them up in the disciplinary correction and keep them on the right track in the Lord. So this is what we need to look at as leading our children is, is a disciplining of our children. And this is going to be a godly disciplining. This is not out of anger. It's not out of wrath, but it's in a way that we have the bigger picture view of leading our children so we can keep them corrected and we can keep them on the right path. This, all, this kind of, of disciplining has to be motivated by love. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, the New King James Version says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. The world out there will tell you today that you should not discipline your children. And that is in direct contradiction from what we're reading right now. The Bible is telling us, God's Word is telling us, if you love your son, you will discipline him promptly. You'll discipline him early and often. If you look at the King James Version, that word promptly, it says betimes. And what that really means is early and often. You're going to take quick corrective action in disciplining them so that they can stay on course and do what they need to do. And by doing so, that is you demonstrating your love as a father towards your children. we got to remember, too, that our children, their souls are in danger just like your, your soul and my soul is in danger. They have temptations. They have sin problems. They have things coming against them. The devil is working just as hard on them to get them on track as he's working on you and I. And it's our responsibility as parents to make sure that we recognize that and that we're fighting the devil on those things. If you look at Proverbs chapter 23, verse 13, it says, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. 
This disciplinary correction, raising them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, is helping to deliver their soul from hell. It is in order for us to lead them in the way that they need to go. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18, it says, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Don't let the, when, when your children are crying and they don't want to be disciplined, of course nobody wants to be disciplined. Don't let that get you off track of fulfilling your responsibility to make sure you're correcting that action that needs to be corrected. And we got to realize that this is a, it's a really big task, and we have to remember that there's a sense of urgency involved here that we have to get them corrected as quickly as possible. I heard it a long time ago, and, and it's always stuck with me, that parents will either discipline them at home or the legal system is going to discipline them later on. Either way, they're going to get disciplined. So it's much better for us to discipline at home before they get out into the world, real world and realize you can't do whatever you want to. And I'm going to take that statement just a little bit further. So parents can discipline at home or the legal system is going to discipline later, Either way, everyone's going to face the judgment seat of God, including your children. So our job as parents is to prepare them and get them ready for that judgment. Get them ready so to make sure that they don't have to be disciplined by God because we disciplined them early and often to keep them on the right track and keep them where they need to go. If we look in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15, it says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. We know that this idea that the world teaches that there's a good person in your child. You can see it all the time. Well, parents will talk about their kids. Maybe their children has just done some horrific activity of whatever it is, and then the parents will say, oh, he's a good kid. Well, maybe, but it's your job in order to correct that action. And we got to be careful that this so-called good person in your child is not left to himself. Because this is Proverbs is telling us, if a child is left to himself, it's going to bring your mother to shame. That it's our job in order to give wisdom, give instruction, give understanding, to keep them on the right track. And we also have to remember that discipline does work. And sometimes it's not always fun during the moment. I would say it's never fun disciplining your children in the moment. It's not a, an enjoyable activity. However, you have to have the bigger picture as fathers that what you're doing is for a bigger task. If we look over in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15, it says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. The world out there will teach you that, that correction doesn't work, that spanking your children is, is just going to cause them to be angry, it's just going to cause them to not like you, and then they're going to go off and they're going to rebel even more. Uh, and that's quite frankly not true. The Bible tells us that that. There's foolishness bound in the, in the heart of a child, and it's our job to set them on the right path. And how you do that is with this rod of correction. It is with disciplinary action, motivated by love, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we can see how this plays out over the long term. In the short, if we, if we take just an immediate glance of disciplining, it, sometimes it feels like it's not working. But when you look at it over the long term, it is working, and we can have confidence in that. If you look over in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children? My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is 
is he whom the Father chasteneth not. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards, and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the fathers of spirits, and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of, the of righteousness unto him which are exercised thereby. So we can see here that when we discipline kids, it's, it's never fun at the moment. There in verse 11, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. It's not joyous. And it's hard to do sometimes. And it's a great responsibility that we have. And it's not fun. However, keep this in mind that the long term, it says, Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth peaceable fruit of righteousness, which that is our job as fathers, is to make sure that our children can yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And how we do that is with the rod of correction. So keep these things in mind as we're training our kids and as we're disciplining and the next thing that we're going to look at as fathers is it goes more than just disciplining your children. It goes into training your children. If you look in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. When we look at that word train, that's not the word teach. The word train up in the way he should go implies a very diligent, thought-out, planned effort in order to yield a result that you want to get. So train up a child in the way he should go. So think about a, a few of these things when you're looking at training your children. What strengths and weaknesses do your children have? What temptations are they going against? What, what kind of fruits could they produce for the Spirit of God and the kingdom? What Bible stories and principles can you use to help them, to show them the right path that they should be on? Think and plan along these lines, and you're going to have a lot better success of raising up godly children. It's train up a child the way you should go. Show them the things that they need to do and lead by example. Now this training and this teaching, this is a constant effort. This is not a one-time thing or this is not an ever-so-often thing. It's a constant thing. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and reading verse 6, it says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by thy way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And they shall ride upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. What it's talking about here in Deuteronomy, this is right after that they had gotten some instruction, and that they, they, the Israelites were supposed to live by certain principles, and not only live by certain principles, but there in verse 7, teach these principles diligently to the children. And then it talks about all the different ways that you should be teaching to your children. Well, the same goes for us today as fathers. Use every moment and every example that you have possible to teach your children the principles and the act actions that they should do for the Lord and for the kingdom of God. And then as we continue to learn, as they continue to learn, then you can continue to increase your level of teaching. And you can increase your the strength and intensity as they grow and mature. Now one thing too, as fathers, we always have to remember when we're teaching our children is we can't make excuses for them. 
If we look over in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1 and verse 7, chapter 1 and verse 6 and 7, it says, Then said I, this is talking about Jeremiah, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Now this is when God was going to Jeremiah and He was calling him to be a prophet. And he was telling him to go speak to these people. And Jeremiah said, I can't go do that, I'm a child. And God squashed that excuse like a bug. He said, don't say I'm a child. He said, you go do what I go tell you to do. And here's the point. Sometimes us as fathers, we can make excuses for our own children. And sometimes we can say, well, they're too young to understand that. Or they're not quite ready to learn. Or maybe they shouldn't be learning these things or we shouldn't be teaching on these certain subjects. And be cautious to use some of those excuses. Now also be diligent on the things that you teach and make sure that it is appropriate for your children. Just don't make excuses for them. I've witnessed over the years that children can learn a whole lot more than what we give them credit for when you give them the opportunity. Just get them involved. Give them a chance to learn and they, they can learn it. So don't make excuses for them. So if we look at the roles of a godly husband and a godly father in order so that we can lead the family that we intend to lead and it can be glorifying to God, there's a few things that we want to remember. So we look at the things that we've studied. We need to remember as the head of the house to lead our home spiritually. We also need to remember that it's our responsibility to provide for our home, to love our wife, and to raise our children in the Lord. So if you want to be a more godly husband and father, make sure that you're remembering the things that we studied. Go study it further out for yourself. Look at these things all the time. We looked at how in Deuteronomy, these people were supposed to be teaching their children these things constantly. And sometimes it's us to, us to remember to teach ourselves these things constantly. So put these in front of your eyes and make sure you're watching it. You can also spend time with other godly men. It's commonly said that you're going to be the average of the five people that you spend around the most time with. And if you want to improve your role as a godly husband or as a godly father, if you want to prepare yourself to get that way, look for other men that are demonstrating these actions and spend more time with them. See what they're doing. See how they're making decisions. See how they're leading their family. And try to emulate those things in your own life so that you can be that godly husband and father as well. You also need to set spiritual goals. We set goals all the time. We set health goals. We set goals at work. We set financial goals. There's a lot of goals that we set, but are you setting spiritual goals to grow yourself as a husband, as a father, as an example for your, your wife, and as an example for your children to follow? And also pray for wisdom and strength. God gives everything that we ask for if we pray, and we pray in a way that is pleasing unto Him. And if you want more wisdom, if you want more strength of how to be that godly husband and how to be the godly father, pray for it. Ask God to help you. Ask others around you to help you so that we can hold each other accountable and that we can always grow. So today we've looked at some of the things that, of the husband and father of the family and the things that he's responsible for. As we continue on the studies, we're going to look at the roles of the mother and the wife. We're going to look at the roles of the children. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about all these different things. And the focus of this is how can we continue to build and continue to grow strong families in the Lord that then grow strong kingdoms, that we can be a light to the world, and we can continue to grow that out. And God expects us as men to work hard in performing this responsibility. He also expects us as brothers in Christ 
to be working together for improvement, for correction, for accountability, so that we can all hold each other up and we can build each other up as we continue our Christian walk together. So this is the study I have for this morning. If there's any here that you've heard the first principles of Christ and you'd like to be baptized in the helm, you'd like to start your walk, then we offer the invitation for you. If there's any here, maybe some men, that, that some of the stuff that you've heard, maybe it's been convicting, you know there's some corrective action that needs to be taken in your life and you'd like the prayers of the church or you'd like more study, you'd like help, then we can help you with that as well. So if there's one of either class that we can help, just come have a seat on the front pew while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.